0: Welcome to the Brian McClanahan Show. Welcome back to the Brian McClanahan Show. Glad to be back on the program. Very glad to be here. Don't forget to follow me on Twitter, like my Facebook page, and subscribe to my YouTube page where you can watch this podcast. Find all those social media accounts on my webpage, brianmcclanahan.com. That's B R I O N, mcclanahan.com. Why are you there? Give me that email address. I'll give you a free ebook. Forgotten Founders, and a free audiobook of the same title read by yours. Truly, you can support the show by going to mclanahanacademy.com. Always free to enroll. Get that free class, 10 Myths of American History. When you do enroll, I've got a new class out. I'm going to announce it right now. 25 People Who Changed America. It is an awesome class. It's available for pre-order. It won't be out fully until April, but you can get it now for a discount price. Once it comes out, the discount goes away. So you want to get it on the pre-order and you'll be getting an email about that if you're on my email list. So you want the coupon that goes along with it to get the discount. Also, uh, there's some other information, some some uh, news about McClanahan Academy. You're going to want to be on the email list. So make sure you're on that email list. Get that free ebook. I'm going to talk about it in the email uh, this week. So a uh, big, big month for McClanahan Academy. But um, you certainly want to do that. Also, you can support the show by going to brianmcclanahan.com, clicking on that support tab. You can throw a few pennies my way. Purchase my books, wherever books are sold online. That also helps support the show. And you click on the shop tab. Of course, that also helps support the show. Get my logo and all kinds of cool stuff. And of course, as always, rate, review, and subscribe to the podcast. Let people know you're thinking locally and acting locally. Share it around on social media. That's how we grow the audience. That's how we make sure people get engaged with the material. And this week's going to be fun. I'm going to start it off, actually, with uh, Richard Weaver, and I'm going to start with with uh, Richard Weaver this week because of a tweet, right? If you follow me on Twitter, um, that's where I like to you know, get news and other things. Twitter is just hilarious to me most of the time. The, the a- absolute stupidity of so much of Twitter is just so fascinating to me. But there are some interesting things on Twitter. And there is an account called Richard Weaver. And this account will post Weaver quotes here and there. And I've talked about Richard Richard Weaver on this podcast before. But I want to talk about this series of quotes and then an article that goes along with it by Clyde Wilson. And if you listen to modern historical establishment, modern mainstream America, you would think that the Confederacy was Hitler personified. The Confederacy was the progenitor of Nazism. That somehow the Confederate flag and the swastika are the same thing. This is what they're put together, right? Uh, New York is going to ban the swastika, because, and they have to ban the Confederate flag. I mean, the Confederate flag has to go away. They're the same thing to uh, anyone that has um, uh, that's been just bulldozed by progressivism in America and the establishment, right? Because this is what they get on a regular basis. Nazism equals Confederacy. Confederacy equals Nazism. But that's not the case at all. In fact, the Southern tradition was the enemy of Nazism, and I— the sad thing is, you have a bunch of people who have been uh, somehow led to believe that the two are. Even on the right, the two are the same. That somehow the Confederacy, that the Confederates would have been proto-Nazis. The Confederates were Nazis. And so you have people that believe somehow in America that they should be Nazis. This is just completely stupid. And I say that because you've got a lot of people running around on the right who uh, would somehow believe that that should be the direction we should take in America. Fascism. It's ridiculous. And I think the key to it all is the belief in centralization. So, unfortunately, this Lincolnian America has, infatu- has infected, it's an infatuation for people, but it's infected so many people, even people that should know better, that they think centralization is the only way forward. And I look, Trump did a lot. To bring this about, because he's a Lincolnian nationalist, and as a Lincolnian nationalist, you got to have a one size fits all top down structure. Nazism is the antithesis of the Southern tradition. There's there's no question about it. Uh, you can't even even the people that say, "What about race in the Southern tradition?" Well, I mean, everybody in America in the nineteenth century was what we would call a racist today. So, uh, if we're going to just talk about people in the nineteenth century, then you have to. It's a given. You're not going to find many people that weren't. It's a given. This is what people were. I mean, the John Browns were the exception, right? Most people were not. And even the people that were promoting abolitionism, violent abolitionism, weren't weren't really believers in equality, racial equality. They just didn't like slavery. Uh, And so you find that a lot. I mean, look, Emerson thought that blacks would go the way of the dodo bird. I mean, these people were just going to disappear. You know, they, they were because they weren't, They weren't worthy of of having a place in society. This is what, uh, I mean, even abolitionists were saying at the time. So racism is not the Southern tradition. The Southern tradition is something else. And I think that's what we have to, I mean, I'm constantly fighting that at the Abbeville Institute. By the way, if you want this, want me five times a week, go get the Abbeville Institute podcast. It usually comes out Friday through Sunday, somewhere in there. But so you can get me five times a week that way. Um, And But we're constantly fighting this belief that somehow the South and the the Nazis are the same. This is what the left does. They play this stupid game. And I've talked about it recently in this podcast. Paul Gottfried had a great article about that. Uh, But the fact is, this belief that somehow uh, we have the Nazification through a discussion of the Confederacy is just absolutely asinine. So I want to start with the Weaver quote, and then I want to get into the Clyde Wilson piece that was published several years ago, by the way. It's, it's an older piece. But uh, these quotes come from his Southern uh, Southern uh, essays. I can't remember the exact source of this. But anyways, here we go. That the South was the first section of the United States to sense an enemy in fascism was indicated not only by polls of opinion, but also by its ardor in preparing for the fight. So think about that. The South was the first section of the United States to, to sense an enemy in fascism. So the South was saying the fascists are a problem. First, before anybody else, Roosevelt, Franklin Roosevelt from the North, uh, was openly saying that Mussolini is great. Uh, Hitler was Time Magazine's Man of the Year. The North was embracing a certain type of fascism. And then he continues, centralism also I'm sorry, always points to an alliance between the mass as such and the single leader purporting to be their champion. And conversely, decentralization leaves the way open for local authority and provides opportunity for individuals to express themselves as such. So centralization is alliance between the masses, the people, the mob, and a single leader purporting to be their champion. Now, what do you have in modern American politics? That? It doesn't matter if we're talking about the messianic following of Barack Obama, which I'll get into this week by something I think could really happen, or the messianic following for Donald Trump. I mean, it's the cult of personality. This is what we have. And so when you have this much centralization, the messianic following of Abraham Lincoln, right? When you have this kind of centralization, it doesn't allow for the local authority to reflect the community. This is, it's, Nazism and fascism is the exact opposite of think locally, act locally. It, it can't be, because it has to be centralized. It, he says, the South understands correctly that the promise of fascism to restore the ancient virtues is counteracted by the process, centralization, and the denial of an ethical basis for the state means the loss of freedom and humanity. The South understood this. Centralization would destroy the ancient virtues. I wrote this in one of my books that um, centralization was always the enemy, was always the enemy of uh, liberty. It always has been. And I remember when I did it, uh, one of the people looking at it put some exclamation points there. Uh, in a way uh, to say, well, this is a big point, but also, you know, questioning. Um, But when you look at Weaver, he has the exact same position. You can't be a Southern, you can't believe in the Southern tradition and be a Nazi or a fascist. You just can't. In fact, if you're going to be a Nazi or a fascist, you have to be a Lincolnian. It's the only, only thing you can be. And I say that speaking to people who have somehow been duped into thinking that uh, they should pay attention to Hitler and idiot. I mean, it's ridiculous. It's stupid, okay? Against this alliance of mass and self-appointed leader, traditional society protests. Traditional society protests a Hitler. Traditional society protests the fascists. It has to, because if you centralize, you're doomed. It realizes that in its formlessness and its incessant pressure against the usages which have the sanction of time and experience, it moves towards an extinction not suspected until too late. It will actually extinguish these things because of centralization. You could say, I mean, we're centralizing power because we need to save America. We need to save the American tradition. What are you going to do? You're actually going to extinguish it. It's going to destroy it. It's not saving anything. This was one of my critiques against the uh, the 1776 Commission report because what they're doing is just playing the left's game. They're trying to centralize things, and it's going to destroy everything. Now, on this point, uh, you know who would have been the Nazis, right? Who were the Nazis leading into the war for Southern independence? Clyde Wilson had a great piece about that at the Abbeville Institute several years ago. And he wrote this in other places as well, but we published it. So he says, anyone who has been paying attention has heard many times the assertion that the flag of the Southern Confederacy is equivalent to the banner of the Nazi German Reich. That this idea should gain any credit at all is a sign of how debased American public discourse has become by ignorance, deceit, and hatred. 100% true. To make an obvious point, the Confederacy fought a defensive war against invasion. It had no design to rule others to exploit the resources only wished to be let alone. Nazi Germany was a militarist state dedicated to a boastful, bullying, brutal conquest of other peoples. Rather like the U.S. Army in 1861 to 1865. I mean, you, you can't think that you are going to be, I believe, in the Southern tradition and somehow be a Nazi. Or any of that. It's ridiculously stupid. And that's, I think, it has to be called out for it. Another obvious point. Nazi Germany was a regimented totalitarian state. On the other hand, a number of observers have suggested that the southern people were too loosely governed and individualistic to accept the strong central authority that was needed to win the war against a larger aggressive state organized for conquest. In this respect, the Confederacy was the last Jeffersonian regime in America. True. It's exactly what Weaver just said. The South was against it. The South couldn't be Nazi. The Southern tradition can't be Nazism because of that. It wasn't even Nazi in the 20th century. It's ridiculous I mean, the, the whole premise is based on wishful thinking on the part of the progressives to paint the South as the enemy of everything American. That the Confederacy was Hitler, that Robert E. Lee was Hitler, that Jefferson Davis was Hitler. These people are morons. The Nazi analogy rests on the idea that both the Confederacy and German states were racist. The term racist has become so elastic and pejorative that it no longer is used by honest writers. History and ordinary observation indicate a vast variety of and gradation of the racist ideas that the various races of mankind have had about each other, many of them living maybe I'm sorry, many of them involving notions of significant differences in superiority and inferiority. If racist means in this connection that the confederacy generally assumed the attitude of white supremacy it is true this tells us very little and the sense intended the overwhelming majority of white europeans and americans were white supremacists from the first contacts with africa in the 16th century well until the 20th century abraham lincoln expressed this idea several times many of his supporters did so frequently and firmly this is true right i mean you you can't the whole united states was racist in 1861, Sherman was racist. Grant was racist. Lincoln was racist. You can't find people, many people that weren't racist. It's just an exercise in futility to say, "Well, these people." I mean, because you have this treasury of counterfeit virtue, right? It's counterfeit virtue. It's not real virtue. But they, the, the North, has this moral superiority because they ended slavery, whereas. People don't look into who these people actually were. One of the only good things that Eric Foner ever did was publish Free Soil, Free Labor, Free Men, which completely <laughs> shows that uh, the North was by no means this happy land of non-racists. And it's uh, the that book is good because uh, Foner had some influence from outside the Foner family to produce it. By the time of the war between the states, the South had been a biracial society with more than two centuries of adjustment to that situation. Certainly by that time, the widespread attitude of the South toward blacks was paternalistic. It was an attitude assumed in everyday living. Unlike Yankees and Germans, Southerners did not make racist ideologies. Healthy black children proliferated in the South at a time when half the white children in New York City died before the age of five. You see, it's not an ideology, it's it's an attitude. And we can critique the attitude... We can also critique the ideology, which we should, but the fact is this is not something that was they formulated as an ideology as Northerners did because Northerners had no experience in these things, or very little. It is well to remember that until World War I, when factory labor was needed, the number of African American people who lived outside the South was very small, and moving North was discouraged. Undoubtedly, one of the North's motives in the war between the states was to keep the black people in the South and out of the North. In the midst of the war, the radical Republican abolitionist governors of Massachusetts and Illinois fiercely protested the admission of a small number of freed slaves into their states. Governor Andrew of Massachusetts was certain that black people would not be happy there and were better off in the South. This is, all, this is true as well. So if the war is for egalitarianism, if it's to create this racial harmony, if, the, if, the, if that was the point, then of course the evidence points the other direction. And again, the South were not the Nazis. Yet another bootlegged assumption in support of the Confederate racist theory is that the war was being fought to emancipate the slaves and therefore was against racism. This is obviously untrue. Emancipation partially became a goal as a war measure after the conflict had assumed titanic proportions and seemed to Lincoln unwinnable. A number of the scrawlers of graffiti on Confederate monuments have declared them to be offensive as symbols against racial equality. Emancipation, tainted as it was, was not driven by desire for racial equality. In a sense, it was a support to racism, indicating a lack of interest in the black people except as tools of conquest. Emancipations of millions presented a tremendous problem for American society, and particularly for African Americans, who face a daunting change of conditions and a catastrophic decline of everyday living standards that it, comparably, that it compared favorably to those of northern European workers. It is evident until... that that the emancipators had little interest in racial equality until after the war when they discovered the usefulness of Republican voting black men in the South. When asked what was to become of the emancipated people, the saintly Lincoln replied, root, hog, or die. The abolitionist foremost guru, Ralph Waldo Emerson, said that black people were unfit for modern civilization and would become extinct. True. I mean, all this is true. Right? So, how is the Confederacy, the racist area, which I mean, he's saying it was racist, but how is that, how is the North get a pass here for all of this stuff? And somehow, the Confederacy are all these ideological Nazis. Preserving slave property and white supremacy was not a primary incentive for those who fought under the Confederate banner, whether they were slaveholders or not. Their incentive was repelling invasion. They did not so much defend slavery as resent interference in their society by an outside force that preached hatred against them and never had any constructive solutions for a difficult situation. Those the Confederates fought against were quite as racist as themselves. Although they lost, they put up a spectacular fight which has long been admired around the world. Confederate monuments, often erected by the financial sacrifices of ordinary people, are memorials of that fight and what it cost in blood. Were the evils of Nazi Germany prepared? Uh, perpetrated in the name of the white supremacy that governed America belief for so long? I don't think so. While the Nazis had a policy about Aryan supremacy, they in fact made wars of conquest entirely against other white people in countries and in an alliance with Japanese and Muslims and were defeated by other white peoples, many or most of whom were white supremacists. I once saw a documentary about survivors of the Battle of Stalingrad. The Russians were tall and fair Aryans and the German soldiers were mostly short and Slavic-looking. Nazism was not driven by white supremacy, but by German nationalism of a particularly grandiose and vicious sort. It caused the deaths of more white people than anything else in history. It's worth mentioning that in this connection that the period before World War II there, was not, no, there were strong manifestations of isolationism and pro-German settlement in the North. A large pro-Nazi rally was held at Madison Square Garden. Such stuff hardly existed in the South. Public opinion surveys showed overwhelming pro-allied sentiment among southerners. Right, I mean, yeah. So you had the Northerners. I mean, the American Nazi Party was located in the North. I think Indiana was the center of this. It's just stupid. This is the the idea that somehow the Confederate flag and, as Weaver points out, Nazism and fascism will be attractive to the South is against the Southern tradition. That's my whole point in this. And those that run around saying Calhoun, the original, you know, the original Nazi, it has to be Calhoun. Look at all this stuff he's saying. It's all Naziist. It's all Nazism. It's not. This is the neocons. This is the Straussians. They're just as bad at this as the left. It's also worth pointing to the strong connections that German status had with Lincoln and the Northern World Conquest. Early German settlers in what became the U.S. were mostly peaceful farmers. After the failed European revolutions of 1848, many militant, aggressive Germans immigrated to the U.S., especially the Midwest. These were revolutionaries experiencing conflict dedicated to social revolution by violence and ignorant or contemptuous of American constitutionalism. Lincoln courted these people all the time. It has been shown that Lincoln's election as president was a product of the influx of Germans into the Midwest, outvoting the traditional Democratic majority there. Some of the Germans were also ignorant peasants who could be made to believe the cynical Republican lie that Southerners intended to enslave them. Um, What's interesting about that is one of the most pro-John Brown books ever written was by a guy named Villard, and um, his his uh, father, his father, I'm sorry, was the German revolutionary newspaperman uh, who supported the Lincoln administration, and of course, uh, this guy's uh, grandfather was William Lloyd Garrison. So, you have that connection, the German 48ers then marrying into these Yankee uh, Yankee uh, expansionists, cultural imperialists, and that creates an interesting situation. By the way, John Brown is in my 25 People Who Changed America, which I have to cover. I mean, he's one of the most important people in, in American history. Uh. These immigrant Union enthusiasts were proto-fascists or proto-communists. It amounts to the same thing. A number of Germans were generals in the Northern Army, which had also several entire divisions composed of German immigrants. European communists boasted that these people had played a big role in the federal government's winning the war. This is not true. Their battle record was quite poor. But it was certainly known that these German immigrants were the most brutal of Union troops in their treatment of American civilians in the South. The Christian philosopher Gerhard Niemeyer recorded an experience when he was studying in Spain just before World War II. At the, table, at the next table were two Germans discussing what a fine country Spain was and what a valuable conquest it would make for the Reich. Here is a Massachusetts colonel of the Union Army writing to his sympathetic governor in the midst of the war. Quote, the thing we seek is permanent dominion. What instance is there of permanent dominion without changing, revolutionizing, and absorbing the institution's life and manners of the conquered peoples? They think we mean to take their slaves. Bah! We must take their ports, their mines, their water power, the very soil they plow. This is a far more typical expression of what the Confederate soldier was against in the pleas for racial equality. Who are the best candidates for the Nazi label in the war between the states? Well, he doesn't say this, but I think the evidence is clear. It would be the North. Now, what's interesting about that is, of course, the 1619 Project would, eventually, would essentially agree with this assessment of the North. They would say this is true. The North wasn't really fighting for anything. This is what drives the neocons crazy, because they know it's true. <laughs> they know it's true, so they have to come up with stuff to try to make it to where it's not true, or that the North was the, were these noble, freedom-loving people, and they were just out there. You know, this is, uh, this is uh, the... James Oakes School of thought that you have got Lincoln he's an abolitionist from the time he started uh, you know crying out of his mama's womb. I mean this is what he was and it's all created on a myth, right It's all created on a myth. So who are the real myth makers in America? It's not the people that uh, say the Southern tradition is important. It's not Richard Weaver is pointing this out. The myth is all the Confederacy was all these bad things and you have to you have to put the two together to say these are. This is the conclusive proof that everything bad in America happened because of the South. It's just simply not true. Anyways, I had to go through this today because I found those quotes fascinating. Weaver is such an important part of American conservative tradition, and if you don't read Weaver, you should. Um, Ideas Have Consequences is great. The uh, The Southern Tradition at Bay is fantastic. The Southern Essays of Richard Weaver fantastic Liberty Fund book. Uh, You've got the collected works of Richard Weaver. It's the, I can't remember the exact title, but another Liberty Fund publication. Liberty Fund for years was putting out some really good stuff with Weaver. Um, They don't so much anymore, but they were for years. So I would recommend going out and getting as much Richard Weaver as you can get in your life. Uh, He was certainly an important part of the Southern tradition in the 20th century. All right, hope you enjoyed this episode of the Brian McClanahan Show. I'll see you tomorrow for the next one. See you then.